Turn with me to John chapter 11. Uh, this, as we're entering halfway through the book of John, through this sermon series, we've been crawling through John, we're actually here in probably what is the last couple of weeks of Jesus' earthly ministry before the cross in the book of John. And as we come to John chapter 11, we come to the story of Lazarus. And many people know the story of Lazarus, and if you don't, um, you will by the end of the sermon today. This is the last of Jesus' miracles in the book of John. Jesus has done seven miracles in the book of John, which they say seven. He actually rose from the dead later on. That's actually number eight. Um, so I guess there's eight miracles in the book of John. I'd say raising yourself from the dead is a miracle, wouldn't you? But this is the last of seven signs that we see that John has recorded. Although John said, if you recorded everything Jesus did, I suppose all the books in the world could not contain them. So of all the miracles Jesus did, for some reason, John, he, he narrowed it down to these seven. And we're coming up to the, to the last part of Jesus' earthly ministry. And John records this last miracle. And it's the miracle of Lazarus raising from the dead. Raising Lazarus from the dead. Like, like the high point, the climax of all the miracles Jesus did. It says in verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now why does John say this? This is actually recorded also in Matthew and Mark and a, and a different story similar to it in, in Luke. But John is writing after Matthew and Mark. And so he's referring to their accounts of the gospel. He's basically saying you might remember from other stories about this woman Mary. This is her. This is the woman who washed his feet. John will actually pick up on this story later in chapter 12. So we're not going to go into it today. It says, so the sisters sent to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. And verse 5 says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Uh, I want to back up here and I want us to take a look at verse 3. It's very interesting because they, they came to Jesus and they said, Lord, he whom you love is ill. He whom you love, and this, this word love here is this friendly kind of love. And I think this is such a great way to pray because that's basically they're talking to Jesus. It's basically a prayer. And their prayer is, Jesus, the person you love is ill. And you know, God loves us. And when we go to him in prayer, we go to the, in Matthew 7, it tells us that when we ask the father, he's a good father. And when we ask our earthly fathers for a fish, they don't give us a snake. Why? Because they're good fathers. And the Bible says, actually, your earthly father's evil compared to your heavenly father. So if your earthly father won't give you a snake, 
how much more will your heavenly Father give you good things if you ask? So here they are, they're asking, they say, he who you love is ill, and this, this friendly kind of love. But down in verse 5, John, he, he narrows it down even more. It says, now Jesus loved Lazarus. And this word love is this, this godly, divine kind of love, and it's the, the tense of this verb is this ongoing kind of love, not a past tense kind of love or, or a momentary kind of love. It's a love that is ongoing perpetually. And how many know it's good this morning to know that we know the love that is ongoing perpetually. In fact, the scripture tells us that God is love. In fact, you'll never learn to love another human being until you truly learn God's love for you. Everything else is a superficial copy of the true thing true love can only be found in god himself it's the sacrificial kind of love says he whom you love is ill verse 4 jesus says this illness does not lead to death your bible might say does not lead unto death i want you to do me a favor i want you to underline that word to or unto if it's in your bible that's a great big word here in this story those two simple letters two that's a great big word in this story this morning this illness does not lead to death and and i want to take issue with my translation it has a period and then continues on it says it is for the glory of god but but there actually should be a but there it says, this, this sickness does not lead unto death, but is for the glory of God. And, and that's important, I think. Like in, in the Greek language, there's a conjunction that they throw out there that you could translate. You could translate it and, you could translate it but, you could translate it all these different. How many, how many don't like conjunctions? How many remember in school having to diagram sentences and yeah, now your pastor's up on Sunday talking about it. I'm like, oh man talking about conjunctions in church even thought english was of the devil i agree i was a math guy not an english guy but in the greek there's these conjunctions these weak conjunctions that you could translate them almost any way but right here in my translation it's missing most translations actually include this but and this is not one of these weak conjunctions this is a very specific one it's the word but or however or nevertheless it means this as opposed to that it says this sickness does not lead to death but it is for the glory of god friends that's that's a big conjunction right there that's a big exception right there and too many times when the enemy comes against us all we can do is see this side of the conjunction. All we can see is the illness and the potential for death, and it weighs on us. It is hard for us to look from the other side of that conjunction and see the glory of God waiting on the other side. In verse 6, it tells us this. It says, So, when Jesus heard that Lazarus Lazarus was ill. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. In fact, in the Greek, it says, indeed, he stayed two days longer. Like, like he's trying to emphasize this point. Hey, 
Lazarus is sick. So when Jesus heard this, and we think he comes running to Lazarus to save the day. Nope. So indeed, he waited longer. He waited two more days. And this can bother me when I read this story. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest. It bothers me when I read this story. The first time I ever read this as a teenager, it, it bothered me. Why would Jesus wait? They needed his help. Why would he wait? I'm going to tell you this morning that Jesus does things in his time. Not in our time. We live in a society we want everything done on our time. We, we want to be able to pop things in the microwave and have it cook quick, right? We, we place our Amazon orders and, man, if it's going to take longer than three days to get here, forget about it. I'll just go to Walmart and find it. Like, we, we want things now. And yet God's time is not like our time. Flip back over to chapter 2. And you remember over in verse 4, remember the miracle, Jesus turning the water into wine? Jesus, his mom, comes to him and says, hey, do something about this. We've run out of wine. And Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. And she insists. So he goes ahead and does it. And what's the result of him going ahead and doing this? The result can be found in verse 11. It says, he manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Like Jesus does stuff in a timing that results in people believing in him and that the Father's glory is made manifest. That was the result of the end of that story. It wasn't, oh great, we got some booze. No, the result was, this man must be God in the flesh, and he brings glory to his name, and they believed in him. If you flip over to chapter 7, talking about the timing of the Lord. You remember his brothers who did not believe in him. This is Jesus' brothers. They didn't believe their brother was the Messiah. Can you imagine your, your sibling saying that they're the Savior of the world? You would be skeptical. Jamie would be very skeptical. So they did not believe in their brother. And I, I would love to say this. They didn't believe in their brother yet. Many of Jesus' brothers will come to know their brother as Savior and Lord. How wonderful is that? That, that must mean he was the Lord. Because no one wants to believe their, their sibling is that. So they're encouraging Jesus to go to this feast of booths. And, and in, verse, in verse 6, Jesus says, but my time has not yet come. And they urge him more. And, and in verse 8, he says, my time has not fully come and so he doesn't go yet but then he ends up going and if you look over in the in verse 18 it says one who seeks his own glory is different than the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him so Jesus is saying yeah I finally showed up at the feast but the reason I came wasn't for my glory but the glory of the one who sent me that you may believe on me so bring him glory this is the theme that we see. You don't have to turn there, but 
Habakkuk, I'm going to read it to you real quick. And, and it's a wonderful study. If you ever are wondering a, a passage to study, you should study Habakkuk chapter 2. And Habakkuk chapter 2, I think everyone in this room can relate for this. In verse 3 it says, the, the vision still awaits its appointed time. Like all of us have things like we think the Lord has maybe called us to or, or things that we'd like to do in life and, and we want it to hurry and come about, right? If you're a teenager in the room, you can't wait to graduate. Um, I would go ahead and say, slow down. Enjoy life now while you don't have bills and responsibilities and all these things. Slow, you're good. You're fine. Adults, amen? Yeah, yeah, you hear that? Oh, yeah. We always want to hurry to things. But Habakkuk, it reminds us, it waits as a point in time. It says this, it actually is hastening to its end. It will not lie. Like, God has not lied to you. What he has called you to, it's actually hurrying towards you like, like a freight train coming at you. But it seems slow, doesn't it? That's what it says. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. I, I like it to it. If a train is a long ways off, it seems like it's not moving fast. It could be flying like when you see a plane in the sky, that thing's booking it. But to you on the ground, it's just kind of moseying along. I'm telling you, your destiny, the, thing, the destiny of the things God has, has for you, the things he's called you to, it's hurrying toward you. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it tells us to not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap. There is a season you will reap second peter uh three nine and i want to actually turn to that one and read it to you it says this the lord is not slow to fill his promises as some count slowness but is patient towards you not willing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. It actually says before that that the Lord counts one day as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. Like his timing and your timing don't match up. The Lord is not slow fulfilling his promises. Like the Lord will show up right when he means to. It then becomes a question, do you trust the Lord and his sovereignty? Do you trust the Lord and his timing? But God, I've been... I've been praying for my marriage for years. Keep praying. But Lord, I've, I've been battling with this sickness or this disease for such a long time now. Keep praying. Can I tell you that it's not the Lord that's doing these things to you. The scripture is very clear. It's the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come to give life and life more abundantly. Then why are these things happening? Well, things these happen because you're on this side of the butt of the conjunction. You just seeing all these things happen on this side of the conjunction. Yet, nevertheless, it's for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God. So Jesus, he indeed stayed two days longer after the prayer was given. You've got to come help Lazarus. So Jesus did nothing. He just waited around for two more days.
Verse 7, then after this, after two days, he said to his disciples, all right, now it's time. Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? You guys remember that from our other stories? It seems like every time Jesus ends up around Jerusalem, he stirs up the religious crowd and they try to kill him. And what did he say? You can't kill me. It goes back to his timing. You can't kill me before my time. He said, I will lay down my life and I will pick it up again. You know what's crazy is his disciples are actually right this time. Like he's going to Jerusalem and guess what will happen when he gets there? He will die. He is headed towards the cross. His feet are planted and pointed towards Golgotha at this point. Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're going there again. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. I'm reminded that Jesus, he, he said, I am the light. He said, I am the light. If you go back to even John chapter 1, he is the light that shines in the darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. And in John 8, 12, we read that. If you Look forward in some of John's other writings. 1 John chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. It talks about Jesus being this light. But what is Jesus trying to say here? And it's something that we should all know. Like he's saying there's 12 hours in the day. And while it's day, you have to walk. As long as you walk. Like, you realize all of us have an appointed time that we're given. And you will walk during that appointed time. There's, an, there's a time where we will all taste death unless the Lord returns. But it's very clear. Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death and that all have sinned. So everyone in this room, we all face the same thing. And, and, and for some of you who are, who are quite young, you, this seems like an impossibility to you. Not all of you, but some of you, but... The further you push through life, the more funerals you sit through. The more it becomes a reality of like, someday that will be me. All of us will have a time for that, that 12 hours it ends. And it's time for us to meet our maker. And that can be tough. It can be tough to think about. I am... Um, I love going to a good funeral. I know that that might seem odd to some people. I'll say my dad, he was here last week. My dad, he was one of the best eulogizers that you'll ever hear. Like, my dad has a wonderful way of when he's preaching a believer's funeral. It's almost like he's bringing them back to life just for a moment, just so we can celebrate their life and I've never seen a man who can just so eloquently preach a funeral. And if I, I, 
So if you ever get a chance to go to one of his funerals, go. But I think that's weird to show up in a funeral. I was like, I heard this guy was good. That'd be strange. But I've been at other funerals that are good funerals where the person was a believer, they knew Christ, and you're sitting there and you think, this is good. Now, say, was everyone just laughing and having a good old time? No. People were weeping. People were sobbing. There was maybe some laughter going on, but there were heavy hearts because people were sad. They were hurting. There was family who, who were missing their loved one. They realized, I'm not going to speak with them again this side of death. But how many have ever been to one of those good funerals before? And you, there's just this hope that resounds. And it's not because of us. It's because in the middle of all the mess and the torment and the, and the chaos of losing someone, Jesus is there. Jesus is there. And the glory of God is being revealed through a death. And I would say to you this morning, like at my funeral, there's one thing that I would hope is that Jesus would be glorified. If the name of Drew doesn't get mentioned, I guess you have to mention it once. This is Jew's funeral, so you guys know you're at the right spot. But if it gets mentioned once, okay. But if the name of Jesus isn't mentioned, then, then that's a failure. Because the name of Jesus must be glorified through our lives and through our deaths. After these things, verse 11, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus, Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he falls asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking a rest and sleep. The disciples were kind of dense sometimes. Did you ever catch that? Like in the other gospels, Jesus is telling parables. and like, what does that mean? What's, what's that about? It's, we'll see here with we're going to talk about thomas here in just a second oh doubting thomas jesus he says we'll see here in a few weeks he says i go to prepare a place for you and you know the way and, and thomas is like no we don't <laughs> we don't know the way like just these disciples they just don't get it but thank god thomas said it because what was jesus response i am the way i am the truth and i am the life then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Like, they're not picking up on it. So he just tells them straight out, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Seems a little harsh, doesn't it? Why? So that you may believe. Isn't that what we just said a while ago? All things for the glory of God so that you may believe. This morning, can I tell you something? If you're going through a difficult time in your life, I'm telling you, if you lean into Jesus, what's going to happen is you're going to see the glory of God and you're going to believe. It will only strengthen your faith. He said, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said, and this is Thomas, right? He said 
to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. He's just a real blunt guy. It's just the same Thomas when they, Thomas shows up late to the party after Jesus is risen from the dead. And they're all like, Jesus rose from the dead. And he's like, oh yeah, I won't believe it unless I see it myself. He's just a real blunt guy. He's just going to tell it the way it is. He's going to ask the questions someone will ask. He's going to say the things other people are thinking. He's the twin. You might say, well, who's the twin of? I would say he's the twin of me. He's the twin of you. And I always love it because in the Bible, all these disciples all had nicknames. They all had things they were called. There was the rock. There was the twin. There was the sons of thunder. They had all these different nicknames. These weren't just stoic guys who walked around like monks all the time. These were guys who enjoyed each other's company and gave each other a hard time. So Jesus has waited two days. And he's finally decided to go. Can I tell you something? I've written here in my notes, delays are not denials. But all things for the glory of God so that you may believe. I know I preached this sermon this morning and I know sitting here in our congregation are, are people who have faced some challenging things to say the least in your life. And you're waiting for the Lord to intervene and move. I'm going to tell you this morning, the Lord sees you. He sees you where you're at. And His delays are not denials. Verse 17, now Jesus came. And He found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. This may be significant. Some Jewish tradition tells us that and it may have been what they believed here, is that the spirit would hover around the body for three days and then depart. So we're well past that. According to Jewish tradition, this spirit is long gone. Lazarus isn't just dead, he's dead dead, as if there's a difference. And I will say this is different. This is not the only time we see Jesus raising someone from the dead. There's another time there was a funeral procession going on. That death would have happened that day because that's the way they did burials back then. They didn't wait a few days like we do because they didn't have the embalming that we have today. And he, he raised someone from the dead on the day they died. But this is different. This is four days later. He is dead. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. So Jesus is entering the danger zone where people are wanting to kill him. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. You should also know that their tradition was different in that, that Jews had a custom that when someone had died, others would gather around to mourn with them for, for, first of all, a period of seven days, and, and furthermore, for, for a 30-day period. But during this first seven days, people would come into the home, and they would actually mourn with them. They, they would, in some instances, hire people, wailers, mourners, to come in and, and weep with them and mourn with them. And their job was just to groan with them as they hurt. 
And you might think, well, that seems superficial to sit with someone, like pay them to sit with you and, and cry. And it, it wasn't superficial to them. It was something to honor them and honor the fact that they had lost a loved one. So for seven days, they, they weren't left alone. So these Jews are gathering in the home, mourning with them during this period of mourning. I would say in some ways, it's such a, a powerful thing because it, it keeps the person who's lost a loved one from walking through this alone. It, it's, it's empathy. It's loving them where they hurt. I, I want to say, I, I, one of the reasons I love this church is you don't let each other walk through hard times alone. That you, you're there for one another. And I would say that's the mark of a good church. A good church isn't its services. A good church isn't being able to come together on Sunday morning and have a great event. We are not an event-driven church. We're a community-driven church. And you have to understand there's a difference in that. It's a difference. It means we walk together. We do life together. We rejoice when one another rejoices. We hurt when one another hurts. So Martha, you can see here, she's a bit upset, it seems like. She heard that Jesus was coming. She went out to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. So Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would have not died. And she said, Lord, where were you? Lord, I, we sent messengers for you. Where were you? Why did it take you so long to get here? You can almost hear the pain in her voice as she's asking it. And not related to this passage, but there's been times in my own life when I felt completely alone and, and completely hurting and in pain. And I've cried out, Lord, where are you? Why do I feel like this? Why am I going through this? Lord, where are you? And so many times when I prayed that prayer, Lord, where are you? He responds something that's not found here in this passage, but something that he said to me that's floored me. I say, Lord, where are you? And he says the same thing back to me. Drew, where are you? Why have you been pushing away from me? See, the scripture is very clear. The scripture tells us that the Lord, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's always nearby. He's always at hand. He's always close. A reminder of the story of the, the older couple, married couple. They were driving down the road in the pickup truck. And they saw a young couple coming the other direction in another pickup truck. And, and the girl was sitting there in the middle seat next to her boyfriend. And the older couple smiled and the wife said, you know, you remember when we used to be like that? And the husband said, yeah, I never moved. That's us. Like, that's the Lord. We're saying, Lord, where are you? Where are you? He said, I've never moved. I'm still right where I've always been. I'm still faithful. I've, you'll still find me if you seek me with all your heart. I'm right here and every time i've cried out god where are you i always hear the same reply drew where are you 
where are you? It's me. I'm, I'm Adam hiding behind a bush in the garden because I'm ashamed of myself. That's where I am. But the Lord has come to find me. I have good news today. The Lord has come to find you this morning. If you're sitting in this room, the Lord has come looking for you today. And the Lord came to Martha. And she has faith. Listen to this. She still has faith. She says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, He will give you. And I love this because she's expressing faith. But can I tell you, it's an incomplete faith. She has faith. But it's in an incomplete faith. Her sister will say almost the same thing with a little bit different spirit. Lord, she'll say, if you had been here, my brother would have died. But she does it falling at Jesus' feet as her heart breaks. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And it's faith. It's faith in the Lord, but it's an incomplete faith. And we can see this in Martha's account. Because Jesus says to her, Martha, Uh, verse 22 or 23, Jesus said to you, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And, and she puts her faith with that. Once again, an incomplete faith. She says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I know that someday when everyone's resurrected, and that's what, do you know that's what Jesus says? If you remember back to John chapter five, did you know every person will be resurrected someday? Every person, no matter what you've done, will be resurrected. Some to life, eternal life, and some to eternal judgment. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 5. So she's referring to that. Yeah, I know that someday he's going to be resurrected along with everyone else in humanity. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection And the life, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. See, what happened is Jesus took resurrection away from an event and he made it a person. He said, resurrection is an event. Resurrection is me. Life, it's me. I am the resurrection and life. See, Martha, you have an incomplete faith, but you have faith. But I'm going to help you realize that your faith isn't an event. It isn't for your destiny to happen. It's not the call of God in your life. That is not where your faith lies. It's not on your healing. It's not on who you marry. You do not have an event-driven faith. You have a faith that's anchored in a person. And Martha's faith went from a miracle to a Messiah. And she put her faith in Jesus and I would take that, if I were to highlight that verse 27. Because the issue then becomes not Lazarus, but Jesus. It's no longer the problem, but it's the Lord himself walking into the situation. Whatever you're facing today, whatever you're walking through, the Lord himself can walk into your situation. And you say, Lord, yeah, I need you to meet my need, but more than I need you to meet my need, I need you to glorify yourself so I can believe in you more. We see this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says that the Lord is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the the starter, the founder of our faith, and he's the perfecter of our faith. You know what that means? That means your faith is going to get a little more perfect, a little more mature as you go along. 
Like you're going to start off as a baby Christian with just a little bit of faith, maybe even a mustard seed. And as you walk, your faith will grow and he will perfect it. In James chapter 1, it says, Count it all joy when you face troubles of many kinds. Which just, I almost want to slap James for saying that. Count it all joy when you face troubles of many kinds. Anyone face any troubles this week? Anyone tr- face any troubles this morning? Is anyone trouble sitting next to them in the pew? No, don't raise your hand on that one. Count it all joy when you face Troubles of many kinds. Why? Because the testing of your faith works patience. And, and here's the thing. When, when patience has its perfect work in here, you're going to be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So here's this thing. When you face adversity, you have to lean on Jesus. And you, the more you can identify Jesus as the author and finisher of your faith, the more you're going to grow to be like him. And whether your need is met today or 10 years from now, if Jesus is the center of everything you are, you cannot be shaken, you cannot be moved. We sing it this morning, he doesn't fail. The problem is, too, many of the to- too much of the time, we wrongly interpret the love of God by our circumstances rather than interpreting our circumstances by the love of God. So Jesus wasn't there to heal Lazarus. They, they wanted a resuscitation, but Jesus wanted a resurrection. Robert, can you join me? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is, this is one of a few I am statements that Jesus makes in John. Excuse me. We've discussed what the significance of that word I am. Remember, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the door or the gate for the sheep. He said, I am the good shepherd. Here he's saying, I am the resurrection of life. I referred to it earlier. Later he'll say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you've been in our D groups ever, you know that he has said, I am the true vine. Here Jesus says, I am the resurrection of life. In verse 28, it says, When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And I don't know why, but when I read those words, the teacher, like it... it it broke me because we're called to be disciples right did you guys know the word disciple it means learner and if we're the learner that means jesus is the teacher and can i ask you this morning like what are you what are you learning from the teacher this morning 
like as you're sitting here listening to me, realizing these are not the words of Drew that are being spoken, but the words of Jesus. What are you learning this morning from the teacher? Or, or do we too often just say, well, I already know that. But can I tell you that in your hardest times, and when your heart is broken the most, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. So Mary finds Jesus. She falls at his feet. She says the same thing. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her weeping, it says he was deeply moved in his spirit. He was greatly troubled. The, the word in the Greek means he was angry. He was greatly moved and he was angry. And here's the thing. He knows what he's going to do. This is what blows my mind. Like Jesus knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows. And yet he sees these people weeping and hurting. And he's, he he's grieves himself and he becomes angry. Can I tell you this morning, like your hurt moves the heart of God. Like he hates sin and he hates the effects of sin on his people. Sin brings death. He grieves and he's angered. He asked the question, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. Like he knows he's about to perform a miracle, and yet here he is, crying. Notice that he didn't walk in all cavalier, like, why are you guys so upset? Watch this, I'm going to do a miracle. No, it wasn't him. Like he's, he's the empathetic one, right? He's the one that will sit with you when you're hurting. He feels what you're feeling. Scripture tells us that he was tempted in every way you were tempted, like he knows your pain. Jesus wept. Now in English, this is the, the shortest verse in the Bible. It's, it's actually not the shortest verse in the Bible, though. In the Greek, the shortest verse in the Bible comes from Thessalonians. Weirdly enough, it says this. Rejoice always. Here's these two short verses. Jesus wept and rejoice always. Doesn't seem like Jesus is rejoicing always. But this word rejoice, it doesn't mean to like be happy and goof around always. Like have a good time always. It means to rejoice always. Can I tell you this word rejoice is the same word that Jesus used way back at the beginning of the story when he said, you know what? I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad that we're not there so that you can believe. I rejoice. Why? Jesus is, he might be weeping, but inside he's rejoicing. Why? Because he knows God is about to be glorified and the people are going to believe on his name. 
And so as believers, we're the kind of people that we can sit with one another and we can cry and we can weep and we can sob and shed tears. And yet the background of it is rejoicing. No, we're not crazy. We're full of hope. And it's, that hope's name is Jesus. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? Isn't Jesus a liar at this point? Do you remember those two little letters I had you underline back earlier in the story? Where Jesus told his disciples, the sickness will not lead to death. That's what these people are saying. Couldn't Jesus have kept him from dying? Can I tell you something? The answer to answer that is yes. Jesus could have kept Lazarus from dying. We'd seen him heal so many people before. He healed others. Can I tell you that this sickness did not lead to death? It did lead through death. Because we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus will raise Lazarus from the dead. So the sickness didn't lead to death, but Lazarus still had to go through death. And this morning, my like as a pastor, and it my heart breaks. Because, like as a pastor, I was telling some students the other day, like, why do you want to be a pastor? It's like because the pastor, as a pastor, you get to be a part of everyone's extremes. Like people call you when their baby's being born. And you get to go to the hospital and sit, and you get to be one of the first people to hold those little babies or when they're dedicating that baby to Jesus. You get to hold that baby and pray for them. Some of the best days of their life. Or when people are getting married, they call you. Hey, will you do our wedding? You get to stand there on the stage as you watch these two people devote their lives to one another and all their loved ones are in the room. And it's the best days of their life. But you also get to see the hardest moments. People call you when their loved one is sick in the hospital or when someone they care about greatly has died. And you sit in the room with people as their loved one goes to glory. And it's hard and it's heavy. I'm going to tell you in the middle of all the good and the bad and everything in between, Jesus. The goal is for Jesus to be glorified. The question we have for this morning, you this morning then, is do you know Jesus? Like, do you know Him? Is He your teacher? Is He your Savior and Lord? Do you trust Him? Do you follow Him? Now, we're not going to finish this story this week. We're only halfway through the chapter. Next week, we get to see Lazarus raised from the dead and all the things that go with it. But this week, my heart this week is for us to wrestle with this, this Jesus who doesn't do things in our timing. This Jesus 
who feels what we feel. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? As I have a, a, a parting thought, parting challenge for you. Jesus wept. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher, he once said that this is not a a verse you read, it's a verse you feel. And I want to say, first of all, this morning, if you're going through difficulty, you have a father who feels what you feel, who hurts when you hurt. But as a body here at Foreign House of Prayer, I, I want to challenge you to do something that I, I feel like you're already really great at. But, but can we commit to, again, that as we walk together, as we live life together, to weep with one another as we weep and rejoice with one another as we rejoice. What's insane is Jesus' first miracle is at a wedding. A time of celebration. And here he is at this last miracle. It's a funeral where people are weeping. And Jesus is in it all. He's in it all. He's glorified in it all. As I pray, I just want you to put your prayer with mine. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace. Lord, we see Jesus in the example he is for us. He's our teacher and we're we're the learners. And Father God, if there are hearts here today that are broken and hurting, Lord, hearts that have cried out, Lord, where are you? Father, I pray you would come and be a comforter. Your word says that you're, you're near the brokenhearted. You come close to the crushed spirit. So Father, I pray, Lord, that those in here today that are hurting, that Father, they would sense your nearness and your closeness. Father, I myself commit, Lord, as an individual and as a representation of this body, but as we walk together, Lord, that we would be like Jesus. And when one of us hurts, those around us would hurt with them and sit with them and feel with them. God, that we would be a church that's not an event-driven church, but a church that's a community. Lord, that we would be known to be your disciples, not because of our great church services, but, Father, as your word says, by our love for one another. That the world would say what they said about you and Lazarus. See, see how he loved him. See how they love each other. 
before we go and as you continue just to bow your head and close your eyes and pray if there's anyone in the room this morning and you say I'm, I'm struggling I'm struggling I need someone to walk with me I need someone to be there for me I want you to know that our heart is to be there for you So if you need additional prayer here in just a moment, I'm, I'm going to end service. But I want to invite you to come and, and, and talk to me. And, and yeah, maybe, maybe like, well, I don't know, Pastor Drew, you're kind of weird or whatever. Well, I'm not the only person that goes to this church. We have other people who can walk with you through whatever it is you're going through. We want to be there for you. That's, that's the whole reason we believe in these small groups. You guys realize back in the pandemic when other churches were shutting down and pastors were worried and attendance was dropping, like this church thrived because we were there for one, one another. And we grew. Because of our love for one another. Let this be the mark of this church. As much as we desire revival, as much as we desire great worship, as much as we desire all the things, let us be a church who is known by our love for one another. Lord, we thank you that you are the resurrection and the life and that Jesus, you died on the cross for our sins and our shame. And because you are the resurrection of life, you rose again. And we have hope in you. And we rejoice, even in the middle of our sorrow, we rejoice in you because you are the resurrection and you are the life. I tell you this morning, Good days are ahead, congregation. F-hop, good days are ahead. Good days are ahead. Whatever you're walking through, good days are ahead.